you got Bibles, you can turn to Colossians. I'm going to look in uh, the chapter 1 of Colossians today during our time together. Uh, as we get started, I'll ask you to use your creative imagination with me for just a minute. And think about um, a scenario similar to this. Think about if you were to, to drive up to Atlanta today. Let's say you had a trip you were going on and you... Uh, Went up to the airport, got out of your car, you got your luggage, you found your, your boarding pass and found your way through security to your gate and you had a seat and uh, as you're sitting there flipping through your magazine waiting for your flight to be called, your, um, your, your boarding time to be called, you look up and sitting there across from you is a man that looks strikingly like Billy Graham. And you say, well, I've seen him on TV. I've seen the documentaries, all all those kind of things. But um, that guy looks really like Billy Graham. And so you you lean next to your traveling companion and you you elbow them and you kind of whisper to each other and you talk about it. And you you decide that that's got to be him. It looks too much like him uh, to not be him. And about that time, he notices that y'all are whispering and he looks up and uh, he kind of smiles and leans over, leans forward and introduces himself, says, hi, I'm Billy Graham, nice to meet you. And you have some small talk, he, where are you going, where are you traveling, what's been going on, that kind of thing. And uh, he starts to ask questions about you, get to know you a little bit, and about a five-minute conversation exchange. And as he gets up to leave, um, you, you have this burning desire to, to gain whatever wisdom you can from this man who's uh, so well-known, so well-respected before he leaves. And so you, you ask him, uh, you know, Dr. Graham, can, can, you, can you pray for me? And he says, sure, sure. What can I, what can I pray for you about? What, what specifically can I pray for you about? And you say, can, can you pray for me what you think are the essential things that I'll need to live the Christian life? Can you pray for me what you think are the essential things that I'll need to live the Christian life? Um, he says, that's a, that's a good prayer. That's a good thing to ask for. And then he prays for you. What do you think he would pray for? In Colossians chapter 1, we get a glimpse of perhaps the uh, most influential Christian leader ever to walk the face of the earth. Uh, and that's the Apostle Paul. And here in his letter to the Colossians, he prays a prayer for them that is basically his prayer that's saying, hey, I'm going to pray for you what I think are the essential things that you'll need to live the Christian life. And it's a powerful passage. And it's got a whole lot to say to us today. Let me read it and then we'll dive in and see what we can learn from it today. I'm going to start with verse 3 and read through verse 14, but we'll focus our time on on verses 9 through 14. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing, As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved uh, fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. 
And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Those are the things the Apostle Paul prays for the Colossian Christians. Uh, what can we learn from it? It basically falls, uh, I know it's going to amaze you, but I think it falls into three categories, three things that we can learn from a passage like this. Paul basically prays for vision for the Colossians, for power, and for rescue. For vision, for power, and for rescue. Let's look first at vision. Uh, verses 9 and 10. So from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will. What is that phrase, the knowledge of his will? Uh, I think the best I can tell in my study that the Colossian, the book, book of uh, the letter to the Colossians was written um, to these people who had a Jewish background, who would have understood a lot of the history of the Jewish people, of what God had called them out of, had rescued them out of, and how he had worked in their history all along, and then finally um, by bringing the Redeemer from that, that nation, from that line, of uh, Jesus Christ. And so when he prays for them to, to be filled with the knowledge of his will, that phrase would bring to mind to, to the, the hearers of this, uh, this letter as it's being read, the, the story, God's story of redemption, what he'd been doing in the Jewish people um, and in all mankind from the beginning of time. Um, we can... Uh, quickly and, and, and kind of in shorthand describe that story using the terms creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. That's how the story of Scripture kind of, kind of goes. It starts off in, in Genesis where uh, Moses is describing to the people of Israel who this God is that has rescued them um, from Egypt and, and what, he's, what he's designed for them to be what things he's designed for them to be about and to do, that they were created in the image of God with huge purposes in mind. Um, and then he, he shortly after that tells of, of how they fell from that, how they fell into sin, how they rebelled and went their own way, and then how that sin affected all of the good things that God had designed for them. It affected and infected every part of God's good creation. And then from Genesis 3 all the way till we get to the New Testament, is the story of God working his plan of redemption through this nation of Israel and so that it could be a light to all the nations and bring redemption um, to, to the world. Um, and all the time, especially even after Jesus has co had come, looking to when he would come again to restore things uh, to how he designed and created with even a, a fuller glory. 
Um, so this story is really what Paul is speaking of when he speaks that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Um, and he said it will express itself in the terms uh, he uses for wisdom and understanding. Wisdom here is, is, is basically just this idea of, of mental excellence, being able to, to see things clearly. And then understanding is to be able to think through things clearly, to be able to put all the pieces together and gain an understanding. And so what Paul is saying is that, Colossians, the first thing I'd pray for you is that you would have vision to see how it all fits together in God's story and what God's designed, what he's created you for. And so that you would live lives, he says, that are worthy, that are bearing fruit. Um, the idea of worthiness just means that you would live life as he intended it to be. Worthy of the God that's created you. Worthy of the Lord who's redeemed you. Um, and bearing fruit, it, it, the language there, um, multiplying, bearing fruit, growing, uh, is the idea that is the same kind of language that, that, that um, God uses in Genesis when he talks of, of multiplying, of having dominion, of ruling, of seeing the glory of God go throughout all of creation. So Paul's praying for vision for the Galatian people. He's basically saying, I pray that you would be able to put it all together, see the big picture of God's story, and that it would inform the way you live so that you live as you were designed, as you were intended to live, bearing fruit, carrying out things um, like you were designed to carry them out. It's, it's, it's basically, Paul's saying, I pray that you'd be able to put on goggles <laughs> to see things through the lens of, of God's design, of his story. So that as you go throughout your day-to-day -day life, you see where the little things that you go about fit in the bigger picture of what God's doing. So that you're not just out there on your own, doing your own thing, and, and then, you know, Christianity matters when I die because I know I'll go to be with Jesus. No, but everything that I do fits within the bigger story that God is painting, that God is doing, um, and then how I fit. So the first thing, vision. The second thing he prays is for power. You see that in verses 11 and 12. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, uh, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. These words, endurance and patience, um, one of the commentators I was reading says this. He says, endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an impossible situation. And patience is what faith, hope, and love bring to an impossible person. Um, endurance is, is circumstantial. It's, it's making it through hard situations. Patience is more personal. It's dealing with, with people and, and people that may be hard or seem impossible to deal with. Um, and so he says the, reason, the way you're going to make it through those hard situations, the, may, the way you're going to make it through uh, and, and with those hard people are by the strength of the Lord, that he's the one that does it. It's his strength that gives us the power to live in those situations and with those people. He's the one that qualifies us to share in the inheritance um, that he's, he's got for us. And really, before you ever get to understanding fully those circumstances and why you're there, or to love and, and be able to move in a relationship forward with a person that's hard to love, Really, before you ever get there, you have to deal with, with God. Um, before I can ever love a person that's hard to love, I've got to deal with my heart 
before the Lord. I've got to go to the Lord first before I can truly go to them and enter in in a forgiving and loving way and a patient way. In order to deal with the circumstances that seem impossible, that are hard, first I've got to go to the Lord and deal with, okay, do I trust Him? Is, is, am I looking to Him that He's the one that's got us in control? And then I can move forward in those circumstances. Um, I was helped greatly by uh, a book this summer. Um, actually, it was the end of last year, last spring, um, by a guy named Paul Miller called A Praying Life. And in it, I would highly encourage you to buy that book and read it if you're looking for something to read. If for no other reason than the chart that I'm going to ask Jay to put up now. It's been so helpful for me to understand this kind of a point. Um, and he basically says this, um, and this is, this is very elementary drawing here, but um, Jay, can you go to the first slide there? Um, I hope it works. If not, I will draw it in the air for you. you got to love technology, don't you? It works great until the... Right, well, I'll start describing it. Maybe it'll catch up. Um, he basically does this. He, he charted hope over time. And I'm a, I'm a chart guy. I'm an, in, an engineering background, so I love to see a visual picture. And so he charts hope over time. And he says this. He said, if you really understand the first point here, that God's got a story, that he's got huge promises, huge things that he's designed us for. Nice. That... Um, that we'll, we'll see and we'll understand, especially as Christians, if we see it rightly, we'll understand that we're created for huge things. God's designed us for huge purposes. Can you go to the next one, Jay? And so we could chart it. If we charted it, it would look something like this. As, as, ho- as, as we go over time, we understand that God's got huge things in mind for us. He's called us to take His glory to the ends of the earth, to relate in, a, in an intimate relationship with Him, to relate rightly with others, to take... Um, and cultivates his creation so that it screams of his glory in every inch and in every, every part of it. Um, and then we have other things that the scriptures tell us about. I mean, uh, I've, I've worked with graduate and career uh, age, single age folks for years. And one of the things that are their biggest hopes and dreams is for a spouse. And that's a real thing. Now we work, I work with young couples who are desiring to have kids. That's a huge desire and hope. And some of them struggle greatly when they're unable to, to conceive. Um, the, the hope and desire to be rid of an illness. The hope and desire to, to, to get out of debt. Whatever it is that you find yourself in, some of them are, are, are scripturally driven. And some of them are just life, just hopes and dreams that we have that aren't necessarily right or wrong. They're just you know, things that we would love to, to see happen in this life. Well, the problem with that is that, on the next slide, Jay, there's a line also called reality. That these are our hopes and dreams that are huge up here, right? And then there's this line of reality that we deal with day to day. Where we see what's in front of us doesn't measure up to these huge things that we know we've been created for and or that we have a huge desire for. And so that causes a problem because there's a huge gap in between. Um, and Jay, the next slide, what you do with that gap will define you. Um, you can do a couple of things. You can say, you know what, I'm going to grab that line of reality, I'm going to put it on my back, and I'm going to yank it up to what my hopes and dreams are for my life. And I'm going to do this thing. Let's, you know, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to get it done. And if you do that, you might can do that successfully for a time. But it will crush you. 
um, because we can't do that on our own. We're, we're finite. We're weak. We're sinful people. Uh, and if you do that, it's a short step to the next thing, which is just to give up on your hopes and reality and bring that line, uh, or your hopes and dreams, and bring that line to, 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 down to reality. And what that is is cynicism. You just give up hope. Well, if I can't ever have these things, if I can't ever reach these things, if this is the reality, then I'll just give up on having any hope or ever having a dream. And I'll just eat by this life until I die. That's no way to live. That's not what the scripture calls us to, to live. It calls us to hope. It calls us to dream. It calls us to, to, to depend on the Lord for these things. And so that's the third thing that you can do with it, is you can take your hopes and dreams in one hand, and you can take reality in the other hand, and you can wrap your arms around Jesus. And you can come to him with those hopes and dreams and that reality, and you can say, Jesus, you've got to do this. I, I'm throwing myself on your graces, on your mercy, and I'm depending on you. And at and, and, and the end of this prayer, I'm basically saying, Jesus, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done, but your will be done. The greatest example of this is who? It's Jesus Christ himself in the garden where he says, God, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Um, and so that's what, that's what I think Paul is telling the Colossians here is you're going to come up against hard situations. You're going to come up against hard people in life. And you can't handle it on your own. And so he says, I'm praying for you that you may be strengthened. That's something done to you. You may be strengthened with all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's saying, listen, I'm praying for you that you will throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus and depend on him to do these things in you. And here's the cool thing, is that at some point, you'll see this last slide happen. And that is that your hopes and dreams and the reality will come together. Now, ultimately, the only, only time we're guaranteed that that'll happen is when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. But we're guaranteed that that will happen. And it's, it's guaranteed to us by the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and has conquered sin and death. But so many times our gracious and merciful God will give it to us even in this life. Even before. You see so many passages of scripture where people throw themselves on the mercy of the Lord. And even in their lifetime they see that reality met with the hopes and dreams. It's not given, it's not a guarantee, but sometimes God does that even in this life. Um, so it allows us to go through and move through our, our lives with hope. So Paul prays for vision, that they see this big story of what God's doing. He prays for, for power, um, not their power, but for them to rest on the power of God, of Jesus. And then the third thing he prays for them is for rescue. And you see that in verses 13 and 14. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This idea of deliverance is what we're called to them, the exodus, the, the, the moving from a, a, a harsh ruler, a Pharaoh, to a good ruler, God. Um, and then this idea of redeemed is the idea of going to a slave market and, and of, of being bought with a price, being bought back, 
um, to, to come to live under a new master. Um, so there's, there's power and there's love in these images of rescue, that he has delivered us, that he's transferred us, um, that he's redeemed us and forgiven us. Um, and what Paul is, is, is hitting on there is that you have been rescued. You have been transferred. So you have assurance. I pray, Colossians, I pray, people with, at lunch with a lesson, Paul says, that you would have assurance that these things have been done. So he's praying for vision, to see the picture of what God's doing, the power, God's power to rest on his power and to have hope in the midst of it, even in hard circumstances and with hard people. And then for assurance of the rescue that's been, um, this happened on their behalf. Um, and that's what he says. That's what Paul prays and says, these are the essential things that I would pray for you to be able to live the Christian life to the full. Um, and it's the same things that we need today to live the Christian life to the full. A vision to see God's story. Uh, ability to rest on His power, His strength, and, and the assurance that He has rescued us. Um, I'll end with this. I, we had, many of you prayed for us, and we just had our, our fourth um, child, a baby boy, uh, a month ago. It's hard to believe he's already a month old. And he's healthy, he's doing great. My mother-in-law came to, to stay with us for a few days, and uh, she, had a, she took about a week off, stayed with us a few days, and then went back and had some, some doctor's visits. And I didn't know what it all entailed, but one of them was she went to the, the hearing doctor. And she had her hearing checked. I didn't know this until just recently. She had her hearing checked for the first time in her life. And guess what they found? Her left ear was 50% blocked. She only had 50% hearing. And her right ear was 49% blocked. And this has been this way for years. And she, they fit her with these small little hearing aids, and she said, it's just like starting over. She said, for the first time, I can hear the leaves rustling outside. Um, she was just giddy, you know, just like a little child. As she, as she was, you know, taking in all these sounds. She said, honestly, sometimes I have to take them out because it's, it's too much for me. I'm, I'm used to not, not to hearing this much sound, so it's, it's sensory overload. Um, she was hearing things for sometimes the first time. Um, and then explained a lot of uh, miscommunications in the past and, and things like that. <clears throat> I think as we come to a passage like this, we have a chance um, for us to, to be reminded and, and really hear things in, in a fresh way. To be reminded that this is what Christians, the Christian life is supposed to be about. I've dealt with many people in the last four and a half years in my ministry at First Press that thought they knew what Christianity was about. And then we start studying scriptures together and they start saying things like, I've been around the church, I've been around Christianity, but this is what it means to follow Christ. Then I don't know if I've ever been a follower. And all of a sudden, they get excited and they start, um, you know, telling everybody else, hey, this, is, this is what Christianity is. Let me tell you about it. It's, it's about vision, seeing the big picture of what God's doing. It's so much bigger than us. It's, a, it's about power, not mine, but the power of God working in us to help us get through hard situations and deal with hard people. It's about knowing that you've been rescued, that you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And all of a sudden... Um, they, they, they hear things with new ears. They see things with new eyes. Um, and that's what they realize for the first time they've 
been made for. Um, so maybe today you come, I come to a pastor like this, and we need to be reminded. Others of us, um, our, it, it, our hearing gets dull so quickly. Um, life, just living life, you know, our, our edges get worn off. We get worn down, and it's easy to go to that bottom line and just say, what is the use? <laughs> we come to a passage like this, and we need to be praying the things that Paul prayed for the Colossians for each other, that we will continue to have the vision of what God's doing and how we play, what part we play. We need to continue to throw ourselves on the power of Jesus, not on our own strength, and that we need to look to Jesus alone because he's the one that has purchased our salvation, that has redeemed us, that has transferred us. Uh, and if to today, if, if you don't understand that, if you never have done that for yourself, if you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior, then I would love to talk to you afterwards about how to do that um, from our time today. Let's pray now as we end. God, we do pray for one another today that you would help us to to have the vision of the big story, the knowledge of your will, um, of what you've been doing for many, many years before we ever uh, came on the scene, and for what part we play, what big things you've called us to. Um, God, we pray that we would lean on you and be strengthened by you, by your power, and not try to just shoulder the load of our day-to-day lives on our own, and not just to give up hope but to continue to bring reality in one hand and our hopes and dreams the other and to wrap our arms around you, Jesus, and to wait for you to resign our, our will to yours. And God, um, that we would know the assurance of our salvation, that we have been redeemed, we have been transferred, and that would give us freedom to pursue the big things that you've called us to. Would you do that in Jesus' name? Amen.